Well, hello, everyone. Uh, we're back with you again in our new normal, and it's Easter weekend, and I get to bring to you a resurrection message today. Now, let me ask you to do something before I get into this teaching. If you're watching on Facebook or on YouTube today, can you just let me know how you're doing? Write a comment down below or just say hi. Would you do that for me? So I know if you're watching me and who you are, that would bless me a lot just to know who out there is watching. Now, <clears throat> today I'm going to talk to you about a message that um, God gave me just for this series on peace and especially for this Easter weekend. It's called Locked In, But Not Locked Out. And we'll see why in a second. Now, let me begin by telling you a story. Uh, annually here, we have a trunk and treat. And I really love trunk and treat. Let me tell you why. Because I like to dress up. I like to dress up in costume. And if you've been here for any amount of years, you know that I have been Paul Stanley of Kiss. I have been Jack Sparrow of Pirates of the Caribbean. One year, I was one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, last year, I was a rock star, which fit me perfectly. And then two years ago, I was Dog Boy. Dog Boy, yeah, Dog Boy from the movie The Greatest Showman. And I had a lot of fun. None of you recognized me until I opened my mouth and talked, and then you realized who I was. But let me tell you why I like it so much. Number one, it's fun to be a kid. The older I get, the more I want to be a kid again. But secondly, it's fun to be incognito and to be someone else and no one knows who you are. Wouldn't it be great to do that for one day? Wouldn't it be great to do that for one morning, to walk around in somebody else's shoes and be them for a moment? Wouldn't it be even better to walk in the shoes of the disciples that first resurrection morning? Wouldn't it? Well, that's what I'm going to endeavor to do today. I'm going to take you into their world that first resurrection morning. What did they feel? What did they experience? What was going on? I'm going to take you through the story of the resurrection in John chapter 20. I'll start at verse 1 in a second so you can turn there. Yes, the message is called uh -uh, locked in, but not locked out. And when I get to the end in verse 19, you're going to see why this title makes so much sense. But I just want to have some fun being able to share the story, looking at how they were experiencing it that first morning and not, and if we could possibly, because we've, we've heard the story so many times if you're a follower of Christ, if we could just erase all that, kind of get the feel of what they felt and what they were going through in their heads that first day, that would be great. So here we go. John chapter 20 and verse one. And it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Okay, here comes Mary Magdalene. First day of the week, it's Sunday. Mary Magdalene, of whom Jesus cast out seven demons out of her life. We know from Luke's gospel that she's there with other women. 
She's coming early in the morning while it's still dark. Isn't that amazing? What would get a person up so early in the morning to come to the tomb? Well, it would have to be that she never forgot what Jesus has done for her in her life. She never forgot what her life would have been like without Jesus. Friends, never forget where God has brought you from and where he's brought you to. If you forget, you won't be rising up any early Sunday mornings to go worship God. You will never be in a hurry to give your thanks and to praise to God. Never forget what your life would be like apart from Jesus Christ. Now, she's coming in the early, early morning in the cool of the day looking for Jesus, much the way God in Genesis comes in the cool of the day looking for Adam. Now, why is she coming? She's coming for one reason. She wants to put more spices on the dead body of her Lord, Jesus Christ, because the body's decaying. So she's not expecting him to be alive. Nobody was expecting no body. She's expecting dead bodies to do what dead bodies do, stay dead, and that's it. So she's coming in a mindset that I'm just going to try to get that stone rolled and put some more spices on it. Now, the stone, that thing weighs one and a half to two tons. How in the world are women going to roll that stone? They're not, are they thinking about that? Let me tell you something about that. Love doesn't ask how. Love is going to find a way. And she loved Jesus. She loved him with all her heart for all that he did for her. And she'll find a way to move that stone. But then she gets there and what? The stone has been rolled away. Mark's gospel in the Greek says it was rolled uphill. One and a half to two tons rolled uphill. The humans couldn't do that. The only way that happened was the angel rolled the stone. So she comes there. She looks in. The body's gone and she is not expecting what she is seeing with her own eyes. So verse 2, let's continue in the story now. It gets even better and better. So she ran and came to Simon Peter, who's one of the 12 disciples, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. We know that as John, the writer of this gospel. So she's coming to Peter and John specifically and said to them, Here's what she tells them. They, they, they have taken away uh, <clears throat> the Lord out of the tomb. And we, all the women, we do not know where they have laid him. So she comes running to tell the disciples the news. The body is gone. Peter, John, the body is gone. And they have taken away the tomb. And we don't know where they've taken him. Who is they? Here's what she's thinking. She's thinking tomb robbers, tomb raiders have come and they have stolen away Jesus' body. Why? Because nobody expected no body. She thought dead bodies stayed dead. This is the mindset. No one expects resurrection. See, we think, oh, they all expect it. None of them did. No one did. And so logically, it had to be tomb raiders. They came in the night. They rolled the stone and they took the body. Now, verse 3. Peter and John hear the news. Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple, which is John, went forth. And they were going to the tomb. This is the funny verse. The two were running. 
together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. I got a question for you. Why does John decide to tell everyone in the world for all to know in history as he's writing this, this uh, gospel, why does he want everybody to know that he was faster than Peter? Isn't that kind of funny? Hey, everybody, just want you all to know that, you know, we started running and I'm a faster runner than Peter. I know he thinks he's fast, but he's not that fast. I'm faster. So John gets to the tomb first. Mm. Verse 5. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Verse 6, and so Simon Peter also came, here comes Peter, coming up behind him, came following him, and Peter entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. Verse 7, and the face cloth, which had been on the head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Hmm. Verse 8. So the other disciple who had come first, which is John, to the tomb, then, then also entered and he saw and he believed. Okay, let me break down a few things from these verses right here. <clears throat> John gets there first. He's the faster runner. Okay. He stops and he's looking inside from the outside. Peter comes running up behind him because Peter's not as fast as John because John wants us to know that. And he dives right in the tomb with no hesitation. Isn't that just like Peter? Peter always jumps in. Peter never thinks. But here's what I like about that. Isn't that true of just different personality styles? Some of us would have got to that tomb, stopped at the entryway, looked around, analyzed before ever jumping in. Others of us would have seen that tomb empty, come running up and run right inside. And we would have jumped in and analyzed after the fact. Now, which one would you have been? Would you be the one to run to the tomb, stop, analyze before you jump in, or run to the tomb, see it open, dive in, analyze later? I think that's interesting, isn't it? That we're just different like that. Now, let's drill down on what's going on in these verses here. Jesus' body is no longer there, but the linen wrappings are there. The headpiece rolled up in the corner by itself. The body parts is laying there where the body was. <clears throat> now, you need to know something about how they buried bodies back then, what they did. They wrapped them with strips of linen cloth, swaddling cloth. Jesus in his birth was wrapped in swaddling cloth, linen strips, and in his death, he was wrapped in linen strips. But don't miss something here. Linen. He's wrapped in linen strips. Why does the Bible, John, make sure the writer of the New Testament Gospel say it's linen? I'll tell you why. Because in that day, the priests, as they were ministering, according to Leviticus 16, verse 4, they wear linen undergarments so they wouldn't sweat. And once they were done with the undergarments, they wouldn't burn the undergarments because people considered it too holy to burn. They would cut up that linen undergarment and they'd use the linen undergarments to wrap dead bodies. Isn't that something? Jesus in his death is wrapped in priestly garments and he would become our high priest. Isn't that something? Now, let me drill down even further. The linen wrappings, the head part rolled up in the corner, the rest of it is separate and laying there as the body wrappings are separate from 
the head wrappings on that slab that day. <clears throat> Jesus left his wrappings. Why is that important? I'll tell you why. Because if you remember Lazarus, when he was brought back from the dead, when Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus comes forth, do you remember what Jesus told everyone to do for Lazarus when he came back from the dead? He said, untie him and let him go. In other words, he's still wrapped in the linen strips of cloth. But Jesus, he takes off the cloth and he leaves it behind. What's the significance of the two different things there? Well, first off, Lazarus still had his on and had to be untied by others because Lazarus would die again. Jesus, he takes off the linen cloths because he would never die again. He would never need this again because Jesus, through his resurrection, conquered sin and he conquers death for every one of us here. That's why for the believer, you and I need never fear death. Look, I don't want to die before in my time, but we don't need to fear death. C.S. Lewis, the great theologian philosopher, said this. He said, you aren't a body. You have a body, but you are a soul. You are a soul. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. That's the main part of who you are as a three-part being body, soul, spirit. And that soul is going to live forever if you're a follower of Christ with Jesus. If you're not a follower of Christ, that soul is going to live forever in eternity in hell. And people choose to send themselves there. God doesn't send us there. We choose to send ourselves there because we reject Jesus and we choose to die in our sins. But Jesus makes the way out. He conquers sin and death. And he leaves the strips of cloth behind because he'll never need them again. Now, let me give you a side note that's kind of fun on this one. Jesus, don't you love that he left his linen wrappings rolled up neatly in a corner? He cleaned his room before he left it. How many of you have kids? Their room looks like a bomb went off in there. Clothes everywhere. Blankets on the floor. It smells like somebody died in there, right? Jesus, what a great thing to share with your kids. Jesus cleaned his room before he left it. That's a free one. You could take that and run with that one all you want, man. He cleaned his room. I personally like that one myself. Now, let's go to verse, um, verse 9. It says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture. Now he's, the, the writer John, after the fact, decades later, is writing back about what was going on inside of him. He says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. He says, we didn't get it. We didn't understand it. Now, when it says, as of yet, we did not understand, the word understand, the Greek word that John uses, means to perceive with eyes and senses, to discern. Hmm, okay. Meaning, we didn't get it. We, we didn't get it. We just expected dead bodies to do what dead bodies do. Stay dead. And then, back up in verse 8, though, you kind of get a little bit of different glimpse where it says that he saw and he believed. The Greek word John uses there is to perceive with understanding. In other words, it's starting to make a little bit sense. He's processing, but he doesn't quite get it. Don't believe the disciples that first day were thinking, oh yeah, we knew he was going to rise from the dead. No, nobody believed it. No one believed it, my friends. No one, none of them did. 
They're processing what they're seeing. Now verse 10. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. Whoa. Peter, John, go back home. Mary stays and she's crying at the tomb. It's been a very interesting morning for Mary and it's going to get crazier right now. Verse 12. And she saw two angels, whoa, in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. Let me tell you what a magnificent, magnificent picture this is. She looks in the tomb. She sees the slab where the dead body was. She sees the linen wrappings. There's an angel sitting at the head of where Jesus would have been and an angel sitting at the feet. You know there's got to be some blood there from where his body was laying. An angel, an angel, a slab, a little bit of blood. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. The top, that lid portion, angel, angel, and the priest would sprinkle the blood right there on top, the lid of that coffin-like gold-covered box called the Ark of the Covenant. You see, that spot where that blood was sprinkled by the priest That's called the mercy seat. In the New Testament, John himself and 1 John would call Jesus the propitiation. Now what does that word mean? It means mercy seat. John is calling Jesus the mercy seat of the Old Testament of the ark where the blood was sprinkled. But here's the big difference. In the Old Testament, when they sprinkled the blood of an animal, It only covered sins for one year. It didn't cleanse anything away. But when Jesus dies and he sheds his blood of the perfect sacrifice that he was taking our place on the cross, his perfect sacrifice, his blood cleanses sins for all time if you put your faith in him. I don't think she was fully understanding what she was seeing because now what you have here is this. Jesus, you put the whole picture together, Jesus became our high priest as the offerer and he was also the sacrifice as the offering in that moment. And that's something, and he offers mercy. You know what mercy means? Not getting what you deserve. You know what I deserve for my sins? I deserve hell. I deserve punishment. But because I put my faith in Jesus, I'm a follower of him, he gives me mercy. Listen, friends, somebody's taught you wrong. Somebody's taught you that God is this big, mean person. He's just out to get you. Would a person who's out to get you make such a way out for you? Really? Somebody taught you wrong. You need to go back and get the right version of Jesus. He loves you so much. He gave his life in place of yours, and he became the mercy seat, the perfect sacrifice to cleanse your sins away if you just put your faith in him today. Now, verse 13. And they said to her, (laughs) the angels are going to talk to her. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. In other words, she still don't believe it, guys. They, there's tomb raiders, tomb robbers. They have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. 
Now, the angels ask, why, why, why are you crying? She says, they've taken away my Lord. She still thinks dead bodies stay dead. Now, I want you to think about this. In verse 2, she says, the Lord. Here, in verse 13, she says, my Lord. Ah, why? Relationship. See, Jesus isn't religion. He's relationship. He's alive right now. You enter into a relationship with him. In my family, my siblings and I, we, I don't know how it came to be, but every one of us, when we're talking, if we're in a group together, we don't say our dad or our mom. We would say, um, I would say, my mom, my dad, as if it's just mine. We, this is what we do. Is where we are. To say our dad, it just feels awkward. We say, my mom, my dad. Relationship. It's personal possession. Jesus wants to enter into relationship. She had relationship. I want you to think about this now. She's seen an empty tomb. She's seen angels. She hears angels talking to her. And guess what? She ain't seen nothing yet. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. 70s. Bachman Turner Overdrive. You ain't seen nothing yet. She ain't seen nothing yet. Verse 14 says this. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. She turns and sees him. She doesn't know it's him. He's in a resurrected body. And she doesn't believe dead bodies come back from the grave. Remember that? Let me give you some application. How many times do we think to ourselves, well, you know, Jesus isn't here when in reality he's right there. How many times do you think, Jesus isn't working in my life and because we don't recognize that he's just right there working in a way that we wouldn't expect it. But he's there. And now the resurrected Jesus is going to speak. Woo! Verse 15. And Jesus said to her, Don't you wish you'd been there? Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. <laughs> she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now, first off, that's love again, because how's she going to carry that big old dead body? I'm going to go carry him away. Come on. Love always finds a way. But, but anyway, here it is. Jesus speaks to her. Why does he speak to her? Why does Jesus talk to her? Let me give you a possibility. Peter and John got there, saw it, took off, uh, took off back. They didn't hang around. Mary, she stays there. She stops her life. She slows her life down. And because of that, Peter and John, who took off quick, all they saw was dirty laundry. Mary, who stayed there and waited, she saw angels. What do you think about that? In a week, like the weeks we have, when some of you, some of us, have so much time locked in in quarantine. So much time just to spend in the Word or meditate on Scripture or pray or whatever it is. Think about that. She didn't just see dirty laundry. She saw angels. She saw a manifestation of a messenger from God with a message to her. Now, <clears throat> what's funny is she thinks he's the gardener. She thinks he's a day laborer. That's what she thinks he is. But if she thinks he's the gardener, that means that tomb is in a garden, which is interesting too, because if you ever go to Israel with us and go to the garden tomb, it's in a garden. They have found a cistern there. We don't know if that's a tomb or not, but everything is in place that could make it that tomb. But I like the fact that it's in a garden. 
because it's in a garden where Adam, the first Adam is called, lost everything, gave it over to Satan. In a garden, Jesus, what's called the last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15, he has victory in a garden and he takes everything back. I like that. Now, <clears throat> remember, she still thinks Jesus hasn't risen from the dead because she's asking him, if you took the body, would you tell me where you took him and I'll go get him? I'll bring the body back. And here it comes, verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Whoa. He calls her by name. Look at me, friend. Quit believing that you're one of many faces in the crowd. No. Jesus knows you, follower of Christ, by name. If you're not a follower of Christ, he still knows you and he's waiting for you to follow him, to come in into the pasture, be one of the sheep with the rest of us. We're not just a face in the crowd. But here's the deal. He's alive. Mary, mind blown. It's crazy. She doesn't recognize him physically, but she recognizes his voice. And didn't Jesus one day say, my sheep hear my voice? That's right. Verse 17. Jesus says to her, is this story great or what? Jesus says to her, stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. What? What? what, what? She jumps on him. Once she knows it's him, she jumps on him. She won't let go. And Jesus says, let go because I got to go. Why? Because everything's changed now. Jesus will ascend. The Holy Spirit will come. But go tell the disciples, go tell all my followers what's going on now. Go tell them these things that I'm sending to heaven. Go, go tell them. Verse 18. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. She runs back, tells the disciples, I've seen Jesus. And that he had said these things to her. In other words, he's alive, guys. Okay, no, wait, 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 wait. She announces to the disciples, I've seen Jesus and he is alive. Now, wait a minute. Last time she was there with them, she announced to everyone, someone took his body. They just stole the body. Now she comes back and says, he's alive. I saw him. What would you be thinking? Sure, Mary, what you been drinking, huh? Had a bad day, all the tears, huh? It'd be really hard to believe once you, she's come back, she came earlier and said, somebody took his body. Now here's what I want to point out in this verse because this is very important. The first eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus Christ is a woman. Mary. Why is that important? Why does God entrust a woman to be the first testifier of the reality, the eyewitness of the reality that Jesus rose from the dead? Why is that important? I'll tell you why. Because in that day, culturally, not biblically, you always got to separate the two or you make big mistakes. Culturally, a woman's testimony in court was not considered credible 
it was like useless babblings. They would think, no way. Here's the point. If you really wanted people in that day to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you would never have entrusted a woman to be the first eyewitness and then write it down in a gospel when the culture would have said, what, a woman, you can't trust her testimony. That's one of the reasons, one of many, of why the resurrection is true. They wrote it down. Therefore, it had to be true. Now, verse 19. Check this out. So, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, it's still Sunday, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. The B is italicized. It's added to give us better understanding. He really just said, peace with you, because he is the Prince of Peace, and he's with them. Isn't that something? But let me, let me drill this one down now. <clears throat> the disciples, on that first Sunday, after all the news, they are barred up, shut in, in a room. They are terrified. Let me tell you what historians would say about that. This is called the criteria of embarrassment. Historians will tell you that writers of a story, of a book, of a gospel would never write their own embarrassing situations. They wouldn't do that because it loses credibility with people who oppose the writings. This is a criteria of embarrassment. John is saying, we were terrified. We were afraid. We had no guts. We had no courage. We didn't believe he was alive. We didn't believe any of that stuff. It's a criteria of embarrassment. Another reason why <laughs> you have to believe that this story has got to be true. But let me give you another one that people throw out there. They all saw Jesus, the eyewitnesses, in a room there. He's, gonna, he's right there. This throws out the hallucination theory which was used decades ago, but now psychologists will tell you groups do not hallucinate the same hallucination. An individual can have a hallucination, but not a group. So you got to throw that one out the window too. I got another one for you. If you really were going to push forth a hoax by stealing the body and saying he rose from the dead, would you really start preaching that he rose from the dead in the same town that he died in and he was buried in? Would you do that? The answer is no. You know why? Because all they'd have to do is go to the tomb, see the body's still there. That's all they have to do. And if people, and people would say also over these centuries, they'd say, well, you know, the body decayed, so that's why they didn't show the body. It didn't look like him. No, it's an arid climate. You could easily pull the body out, still look like Jesus, still look like him. So no, no. You'd never start preaching if you want to push forth a hoax in the very city he rose from the dead. There's no way you would do that. But they did that. These are all evidences that Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead, and these are the eyewitnesses to the account. Now, they were locked in, but Jesus wasn't locked out. That's the title of this message. Now, let me take you someplace now. In that room, where they're hiding, that first Sunday, they've seen the tomb empty. They've seen the strips of linen cloth. 
Mary announces, he's alive. They're not sure. But in that room, they are locked in. There are four, at least four, destructive emotions in that room. Let me give them to you. There is guilt in their hearts. What? Yeah, they've done wrong for not standing with Jesus. That's a negative emotion. It's heavy. It condemns. It's almost impossible to uh, relieve yourself of. Creates agony, creates loneliness. That's guilt. Another destructive emotion in that room is shame. Not that I've done wrong. I am bad. I am wrong because I deserted him. That leads to inadequacy, poor self-image. And those things lead to destructive relationship patterns. Shame is a killer and mankind is filled with it. There's a third destructive emotion in that room and that is fear. Fear leads to a loss of confidence. And when you lose confidence, you do not take advantage of opportunities that come your way in life because you're too afraid to jump in for fear of failure. They're in fear. There's a fourth destructive emotion in that room, and that is regret. They all regret. They all said, oh, we're going to die with you. We're not going to run on you. They all ran out. You know why regret's so bad? Why it's so destructive? Because it leaves you helpless. Because the feeling that I can never go back and fix what I did wrong. I can't go back. We replay it and replay it and replay it. And the will to move forward is eroded and we get stuck in life. Those are four destructive emotions in the disciples. They are locked in that room, but even further down in their hearts are locked guilt, shame, fear, and regret. And Jesus bursts in the room because they're locked up in their hearts and Jesus came to do something about it the same way he came to do something about it in our hearts. Look at me, friend. I don't know why you're watching, who invited you, if it's replayed later, whatever it is, we're all imperfect people. We've got our bag full of sins and guilt and fears and regrets. We've got it all, my friends, over past circumstances, situations, things we've done. But gosh, like that first resurrection morning, <laughs> they had the doors locked. We lock our hearts. But Jesus is not locked out. He's knocking right now on your heart. I want you to think now in that story, everything I talked about. Let me give you two cool symbolic applications. Jesus leaves the tomb and he leaves his dirty laundry behind. He leaves the junk behind. He leaves all the dirty behind. He's not coming back to the tomb ever again. And that's what Jesus can do for you. You're locked in, but he's not locked out. He comes and he wants to take all your pain, all your junk, all your regret, all your fear, all your guilt, all your sins, everything. And he wants it washed away. And he, wants it, he wants it left behind. He left the dirty laundry behind. And that's not all. She thought he was the gardener. What? What do gardeners do? They plant new things. They plant seed. They water. They weed. They grow stuff. They grow fruit. So not only does Jesus come to take away your past and wash it away so you can walk in a new life, he plants newness in your life. He wants you to become a new person. And all the ugly things of the past washed away. Uh, 
way. Listen, listen, listen. We're locked in right now, aren't we? Social distancing. We're locked in. Wear the mask. I get it. But Jesus is not locked out of where you're at right now. And he's reaching out and he's penetrating your heart right now through social media, through these words that he has placed on my heart. Let's go back to the Ark of the Covenant. The angel, the angel, the blood in the middle. Remember, that's the mercy seat. He came to bring mercy. He, came, he didn't come to give you what you deserve. He took your place on the cross and mine. He took our wrath that God had uh, for us because of our sin. And he became the satisfaction for that. That's how God loves you, friend. You, you had him locked out, but he's, you had him locked, but he's not locked out, my friends. He's coming in. He's knocking on your heart right now. And he didn't, cover, he didn't come to cover sin like the priest in the Old Testament. He came to cleanse it away for all time. To cleanse all the baggage of the past, all the brokenness, all the bad decisions, all the what-ifs. That's what he came to do and start it new. But here's the deal. In Revelation 3, verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open up that door, I'll come in and I'll hang out, have fellowship with him and he with me. Listen, Jesus, our hearts, there's only one doorknob. It's on the inside. Only you can open it, only I can open it. And Jesus stands on the outside knocking he wants in listen to me friend how long has Jesus been knocking on your heart how raw are his knuckles how long has he been pursuing you because he loves you how long today's the day of salvation today's the day to put away your doubts that he has got in the flesh Today is the day to quit running and let him wipe out the past of all the dirty laundry through his blood and be the gardener to plant new things in your life and to bring you a new life. Today's the day. Today's the day to set your soul in eternity so that whenever you die, you go to be with Jesus. Today's the day. And I'm going to offer you that opportunity right now. I took advantage of it 40 years ago and I've never regretted it. And he took away all my dirty laundry, all my sins, and it's under the blood, washed away, and he did new things in my life and I'm thankful for it. If you are watching me and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as God in the flesh, as the one who came and carried your sins on a cross and died on that cross for you in your place and then was buried and then rose from the dead to give you new life. If you've never placed your faith in, in him, today is your day. And man, I pray you do it. Or maybe you've walked away from Jesus. Maybe you don't have that thankful spirit anymore like Mary coming to the tomb because she's so thankful for the life that was See, she left behind in Jesus and the new life that he gave her. And you've gone back out in the world. You've gone back out in the culture and you're living the way you want to live apart from God. It's time to come back. It's time to come back. Let him wash away the dirty laundry and let him plant new things in as the gardener. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. Please. 
If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, repeat this prayer after me. If you've walked away from Jesus and you want to come back and become a follower again, repeat this prayer. And those of you repeating it, just place your faith in Jesus as the one who came to die for you, carry your sins, rose from the dead as God in the flesh. So repeat this prayer now. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me on the cross, for carrying all my dirty laundry, all my sins, all my guilt, all my shame, all my bad decisions, all my broken relationships. Take it all, Jesus. Wash it all away. Forgive me of all of it. And I know I'm forgiven. Today I choose to follow you. I place my faith in you. I become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I look forward to new things in my life. Now let me pray for you. God, I just pray. I pray for you, friend, if you prayed that prayer in faith. God's going to do some new good stuff in your life. Follow him. I pray you follow him. I just pray you experience the fullness of God's love in your life and all the things that God's going to do for you over the years and decades and ultimately in eternity. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you have placed your faith in Jesus. Oh, it just blesses us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, couple things. One, I'm, I'm really happy for you. But here's what I would like you to do. If you prayed that prayer, get a Bible. Get one that is modern translation that you can understand. And start reading in the New Testament only. And read in the Gospels. Stay there for a year. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Learn about Jesus. Find some Christians you can dialogue this with. Don't be alone. Christianity is a relational experience in God with others who are like-minded. When everything gets back to normal, jump into a church that actually teaches the Bible and worships God. Get into a small group. In the meantime, keep watching church online and grow in Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or in rededication, would you do me a favor? Would you just please, please write a comment right there on social media where you're watching me and let us know that you put your faith in Christ today. Would you do that for me? Because that would really bless me and bless our church to know that we are making a difference in your life. Well, our Easter weekend message is over. It's been my pleasure to share this great story with you that happened a couple thousand years ago. God bless you, and I hope to see you in person very, very soon. See you later.